You're listening to the official podcast of Asbury University, produced by students with God-honoring conversations that inform, edify, and encourage. This is Asbury. We explore culture and current topics through a Christian worldview, promoting a well-balanced life, and we empower our community to belong, become, and be set apart. I'm your host, Abby Lobb. Welcome to This is Asbury. to This is Asbury, and I'm really excited about today's guest. Professor Todd Wold is a friend of ours here in the Strategic Communications Office as a fellow PR person, but he's also an expert in church, and we're going to get into that a little bit here. So welcome to the podcast, Professor Wold. Glad to be here. So for humans, you know, wellness entails living in community, and Mm -hmm. that means a lot of things. Obviously, we're social creatures, and for generations before us, church provided that socialization and stability in communities. If you go to many small towns, the church was kind of the center. And so in addition to obviously a place for worship and biblical teaching, it was also a place for community and accountability. And so with this ever-increasing digitization of the church, that's going to look a little different than a church traditionally looked up until 15 minutes ago, it seems like. (laughs) And so that begs the question of, are we at risk of losing some key components of a healthy society that come as a byproduct of going to church in person? And of course, there's benefits to other ways of going to church as well. So I know you have just done a lot of research on this. And so really excited to have you on the podcast today. You also teach here at Asbury. You're a professor of communications and public relations, and you serve as the director of communications for Asbury's Highbridge Film Festival. Yeah. Like everybody at Asbury, you're a busy man. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you have decades of research and marketing and PR and advertising, project management, all kinds of experience. But most recently, you have published, this is a mouthful, so I'm going to hopefully get this right. (laughs) In the Journal of Religion, Media, and Digital Culture, your article was called Fear Not, For I Am With You Again, Socially Distanced, a Qualitative Thematic Analysis of Megachurch Post-COVID Lockdown Reopening Videos on Facebook. (laughs) That's amazing. I know. I can't believe they actually published the whole title. (laughs) So you really dive into church pandemic practices, mm-hmm. which really, you know, church was going online, obviously, before this, you know, mega yeah. pastors, they, they've been podcasting, YouTubing mm-hmm. for a long time now, but really this kind of put the foot on the gas pedal. So I'm dying to know, based on your research, digital church pandemic practices, a hit or a miss? What does the research say? You know, it's interesting with all that was done in that time period, because that research came out of just coming out of lockdown, Mm -hmm. right? So we weren't through the pandemic at Mm -hmm. all, but we were getting into the summer and fall. Churches were reopening again. You know, how are they going to do it? And that kind of worked itself out. I was noticing these videos on Facebook from churches and started to look at them more closely because they were all posting promos. They were all basically ads 
for Facebook via video to come back to church. Mm. But they had to address the public safety issues and how they were going to handle everything, what the uh, rules were going to be. So it was really just looking at how they did that. I looked at the largest churches and really all those that I could find that were doing these videos and reopening. So there were some that weren't reopening at that point. California had more restrictions and there was a lot of variation across the country. But the thing that I'd bring up about this is that this was the first time in history, I think, where our worship practices became something that was potentially dangerous. Mm. You never had to think about going to church and what you do there. But with this type of coronavirus pandemic, it's like, well, we sing in church. (laughs) We do a lot of breathing when we sing. Yeah, we sit close together, fellowship, we have contact in the community. And fortunately, the pandemic has progressed and abated at this point. But yeah, we had this new fear within congregations that was being confronted. What I found, though, is that there were competing fears, and it was really impossible for pastors and leadership in these churches to navigate. And I studied kind of fear appeals and advertising because these messages were going out and they were addressing fear. You know, am I going to get sick if I go to church? Or the other competing fear was, is this, you know, impinging on my religious freedom, right? right? So you had these different fears that were competing. And church leadership, regardless of what their view or policy was going to be, was going to land in the middle in some ways. And addressing those fears wasn't something you'd easily reconcile. So that was interesting to see, and different churches tried different things along the way. I had a lot of images and video of that, because obviously the video was out there to get all across the board in terms of how they addressed it. But yeah, it was also, in most cases, a very careful communication. There's a lot of opinions, and I'm sure everybody was trying to voice their own in that process. So just backing up a little bit, mm-hmm. how has the church made it to this point of digitization? I mean, everything is digital. So yeah. like, of course, the church is going to jump into that. But again, getting back to what we talked about at the beginning, the church being kind of the center of the community, this is all different now. I mean, yeah. we'll watch church from halfway around the world mm-hmm. sometimes. Yeah. What have been some of the main catalysts for this? Well, I think the form and focus of church gatherings in Western culture has been pretty uniform in evangelicalism especially, you know, weekly services focused on preaching and musical worship. And there's a lot of styles and styles of preaching and and styles of worship. But those two elements, along with sacramental practices like baptism, communion, et cetera, those have been kind of very uniform, you know, what people expect to get when they attend church. And there's been this century of progression then of media Throughout the 20th century to the present, so you had radio and television bringing the church electronically into this mediated realm. And suddenly you could see and hear pastors from all over the place. And then with published and recorded music in the 20th century progressing on, you could decouple sacred and communal music from the church gathering as well, right? And so today with digital content and curation, we have kind of those two areas, preaching and worship, are both content industries unto themselves. And so the best of these, or people's preference of these, 
can be accessed by anyone, anytime, anywhere, yeah, right? Which is great for a lot of people. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Back in the early 2000s, I went to a church that was among like the first to make sermon content available digitally. So it was actually predating the iPod, but they got started with this. And churches had done like tape ministries, mm -hmm. things like that. I remember listening to those. Yeah, right. They were digitizing, making MP3s of their sermons back in the late 90s. So I was downloading in the early 2000s, digital tracks of sermons, putting them on my iPod. And I listened to it on my commute into the city. And it was fantastic, but it was also a sign of what was to come with podcasting because I was going to a church, but listening to another church mm -hmm. on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, our personal relationships have undergone a level of mediatization, and that's the theory underlying my academic work is mediatization. It's kind of a mouthful, but we relate to others using media forms. We use media, we make media, relate to other people via media, and there's an entire infrastructure of digital content and social media rooted in our online sociability. So as the media change, society changes, the culture changes. Yeah, they kind of have a symbiotic relationship. Right. And so churches have followed suit going online with their content, but I think there's been mixed results, right? I remember that same church, when I actually did start attending in person, <laughs> they had a short-lived project. I was advising a team about creating a social network to connect the online congregation. So all these people that had been getting this digital content there was this external church community, and they actually named them. They coined the phrase Podrishners. <laughs> but they were trying to socially network those folks to create online community yeah. with them. But at the same time, Facebook started to take hold. And as that progressed and as people kind of defaulted to the popular large social media networks, a separate social network stopped making sense. And I remember there were a few other platforms that were trying to do this as well, where churches could kind of buy them or use them with their congregation and have this little social network for mm -hmm. your church. But all that stuff just kind of faded out because why would you mess with something else when you're on yeah. Facebook and then Instagram? And now Facebook, of course, has waned a bit in the role that it plays. But I think a lot of that has to do with it stopped really serving users as it became more about serving the profitability of the platforms. And we kind of are in this state today where it doesn't do what we wish it would do, and we're not as excited to use that stuff anymore, but it's still there. You know, you mentioned this church that you were a part of. They were trying to bring together the online community, and you do see a lot of churches doing that. And I think some have found a way to do it rather successfully, some more so than others. But I wonder why. What's the heart of why they were trying to do that, do you think? You know, they had the best intentions at heart. But I think the difficulty is the platforms that we default to, because they're so large and that's where people end up, aren't designed to serve mm. the same things the church is wanting to do. Even when the mission statement of somebody like Meta and Facebook <laughs> is so lofty that it doesn't even talk about how it makes money at right. all. I did a paper once that just kind of compared mission statements, kind of looking at Facebook, or at the time it was Facebook, it's meta now, you know, make the world more open and connected. And I compared it to McDonald's, which talks about people eating good food and, you know, doing it at a McDonald's. 
<laughs> I don't remember exactly how it's worded. It's lofty as well, but it does talk about what they actually do, yeah. how they make money, right? They make food and they sell it. And Meta doesn't have anything like that mm-hmm. in their mission statement. So it sounds like a ministry mission statement in a lot of ways, yeah, you know. But it doesn't really serve that need because that's not how they make money. They make money by helping companies target mm-hmm. people with products and, exactly. and very, you know, narrowly target people down to the individual level based on the data that we pump into these platforms. Yeah, the people are the product. Yeah. And so when you are objectifying people on a platform to that scale, it can't really serve the purpose of something like connecting people yeah. ministry-wise. Some of the things I think when we look at pros and cons, obviously the pros are we can connect, right? We can use this technology to do that. But on the con side is we try to talk about the church being the body of Christ, the body of believers, but we've centered our practice, even you know pre-digital, on these weekly services of preaching and musical worship. And so because of this, we've come to a crossroad, especially with the pandemic and, and live streaming services. You take the weekend service, the Sunday service and preaching and music, and you put that out there on commercial platforms, basically, socially mediated platforms. Mm-hmm. And the focus becomes that. That becomes what churches right. preaching yeah. and teaching. While at the same time, those are things that are easily decoupled from church. Like I can download a podcast sermon and listen to it whenever I want to. I can cut it away from the actual service experience. Yeah. So let's just real quickly get into long-term effects. And I don't know Mm -hmm. if this was part of your research or not, but what do you see, you know, because if you can, you think of church, you think of traditionally it was the center of the community, um, you know, provided so many different things for people throughout history. So with this new digital future, what do you see as some long-term effects on people who attend church, whether in person or online? Well, my research right now, I just got done doing focus groups with a couple of pastoral teams at two really large churches. And so talking to the lead pastors, the site pastors at a multi-site, and they talked a lot about this. There's been discussions around the live stream, which is a campus unto itself in both of these churches. There's a pastor assigned to that and to that community. But they also know of churches just in their relationships and contacts that have really questioned whether to keep doing it. Everybody started doing it small and large mm-hmm. during the pandemic because it was a necessary. Right. And it was good to fill that gap when you couldn't get together in person. And for people that can't get together because of their own physical limitations, you know, we've had TV and cable church services for years. So it's not new per se. But this environment of socially mediated content that it exists in, that's new. And so churches that have done it are also having discussions. They're questioning whether to keep doing it but they feel they have to, and they feel there is value. It's just they're struggling with it, partially because they sense decreasing engagement in their congregations, whether that's in person or online, right? People are attending church less often. There's less opportunity for discipleship and relationship building. So there's less opportunity when people aren't gathering for other kinds of things to happen, the things that happen, you yeah. know, in the foyer of the church where people right. are talking and 
um, afterwards, fellowship, all of those things that you get when you gather together. You can try to foster those digitally, but what they're experiencing is that less people, less engaged. And you couple that with what I'm looking at in this current research is other voices, other religious voices, other pastoral voices in the religious digital media realm. You are being formed by all of these different things. And it, it's difficult to break through that. One of the pastors uh, talked about, you start to play the game that you don't want to play to get attention. And you're not marketing what you're saying, <laughs> but you feel like you have to compete. And one message on a weekend, it's impossible to compete. That's one of the things mm -hmm. they said. So I think that's one of the things they're going to be struggling with going forward mm -hmm. is how to navigate that and ultimately lead discipleship and Christian formation in their local bodies yeah. when there is this cloud of witnesses. <laughs> That's going to be the first name of this paper, hopefully, uh -huh. um, the dark cloud of witnesses. <laughs> you know, and it's at all different levels. It can be yeah. just someone on their own. It can be another pastor. Anybody with a microphone and a computer can get in this business. Yeah, slightly terrifying. But also, yeah. you know, in some ways you can say, well, that's great because say you live in a town and you don't have access to a church where you're going to really be fed. That could be a good thing for some yeah. people. I, I want to close with this, is there any hope for church churches to sort of revert back to some of those pre-pandemic, ultra-digitized church <laughs> landscapes? Yeah, and it's not that online has an intrinsic problem. It's really how we use it and how that use starts to structure what we do when we are doing church. So I think we need to shift our reason to gather together to more unmediated essentials of our faith and participation together as the church. And we are so used to, because of our history, of centering things on listening to somebody preach and listening to or participating in worship music. Mm -hmm. We want to Maybe take the example of the outpouring mm -hmm. at Asbury, because it was a pretty good peak at this. You've got yes. 50,000 people that wanted an unmediated experience in an antique building that oh, resists yeah. mm -hmm. heavily mediated things happening in it. And so Hughes Auditorium kind of became emblematic of that, right. so much so that even watching the outpouring on a clandestine YouTube feed <laughs> was driven, the people that were watching those, not the people putting them out there. The people putting them out there were just wanting to get eyeballs, which we kind of, we talked about that when, when it was happening. It's like, yeah, these people are just taping hours of phone footage right. and putting it online, calling it live. But there was a drive for people to watch it. So you'd see the views of these supposed live feeds because people were driven by a desire somehow to see this strange, wonderful thing taking place. And maybe they couldn't get here but even driving them to get here, the phenomenon of the viral nature of that. So they didn't know how much they needed that until it happened and they could see it. And there was the individual testimonies, you know, the way that people uh, were impacted by God. But at the same time, I really think there's this latent need for this organic space of encountering God that hadn't really been consciously recognized before. And uh, that's what went viral the technology and all of the people that tried to glom onto it, that all happened. But the impetus, the spark, 
along with just God touching people. I mean, that's it's real. But the virality of it, I think, was driven by that. And oh, so as churches discuss what they do, I think it's important to think, okay, sermons, worship music, what else are people coming together to do and participate in the body? And that's a discussion. I don't really have like a formula. I don't think a formula is good because the church is local and should really reflect the people of a community and what their needs are and bringing them together for their unique calling as that body. But it's a discussion to have. Yeah, I loved seeing that during the outpouring. Like you were saying, just, you know, it was remarkably low tech. And it was so cool to see how God just brought people to himself, regardless of our best efforts. And I think that's just the key that yeah. the church needs to keep in mind, you know, regardless of, of how they're doing it. Yeah. Are you there to glorify God and to allow people to come closer and learn more? And there are pieces of what church is all about happening there that aren't featured in our normal Sunday mm-hmm. schedule. Confession of sin, mm-hmm. public confession of mm-hmm. sin, testimony, prayer. I mean, people were tuning in to watch people pray, right. which is so interesting yeah. to me. So, yeah, we had worship and people would preach at times. But there was so much more of that other. And it's like, yeah. I think that's the direction ahead. It's like, how do we foster the other? Yeah. Not for the sake of having more outpourings, right. but just for our gathering as a church on a regular basis. Yeah, I yeah. remember people asking me, well, why aren't you live streaming? And one reason, there were many reasons, but one was there's a lot of, like you said, the public confession. I'm like, I don't think that person who's up there is intending yeah. this for a YouTube audience. Right, yeah. But that just tells you about what people were really looking for. They yeah. they were craving that place yep. to just to be authentic and mm-hmm. to confess their sins and to be released from that. And yeah. I think that's obviously not something you get in the digital space. Well, is there anything that you want to add in closing? Yeah, I think the one thing that I wanted to touch on, and one of the pastors in the focus group talked about this, is one of the reasons they can't let go of the live stream and how they're trying to lead their congregation, and this is coming from one of the lead pastors, was that live stream has become like a website used to be, is the welcome mat for the public mm-hmm. to know about a church yeah, and find cool. out about a church. So people watch online before deciding to attend in person, and there's a consumeristic aspect of that like we talked about. Yeah. So do you just take the welcome mat away? No, you don't. You got to think through that. He's been talking about leading people to be a community of people set apart. And I'm thinking of 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse 21, set apart as a holy group, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work, Mm -hmm. right? That's why the church gathers. That's what's to go on with the community of people. And so wherever technology is called upon and utilized, it should be for that purpose to grow in our relationship with God and with each other and then with those outside, how we relate to them and how we ultimately advance the kingdom in our communities uh, on the ground. So that's what I would kind of leave it with. The technology is there. It's challenging. Yeah. But we want to be up for that challenge with the ultimate goal of advancing the kingdom. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of This is Asbury. To learn more about Asbury University, visit asbury.edu.